Welcome to the Arbitration Conversation with Amy Schmitz. Hello, and welcome to the Arbitration Conversation. So in this Arbitration Conversation, we're going to talk about something we have not yet discussed, and that is family arbitration. Here in the United States, we really do not do family arbitration. You know, we talk so many different types. We've got employment, consumer, commercial, construction, securities, you name it, IP. But family law generally does not go to arbitration. We look at mediation, but not arbitration. So for this discussion, I have the expert, um, the number one family arbitrator in all of Canada, from what I heard, um, and it's Lisa Hamilton. And let me say, Lisa Hamilton is very, very experienced and nice to boot, which is perfect. Um, she's a counsel in all areas of family law. She handles family litigation, mediation, arbitration, negotiation, and parenting coordination files. She enjoys advising and strategizing to help families resolve their problems. She attended UBC. She got her Bachelor's of Arts degree, majoring in psychology. She obtained her Bachelor's of Law degree from the University of Victoria and was called to the bar in 1995. She's a member of the Canadian Bar Association, the Trial Lawyers Association of BC, the BC Arbitration and Mediation Institute, the Family Advocates Group, the BC Parenting Coordinators Roster Society, and the Family Law Arbitration Group. She regularly presents on family law topics, and that's actually how I had the pleasure of meeting Lisa at the National Family Law Conference in Canada this summer. So first of all, Lisa, I know you're so busy. You're also a bencher. You're also very, well, you're the president of the Law Society in BC, and I know um, you have a lot going on. So thank you for taking time with us. Oh, you're most welcome. It's fantastic to be here, Amy. I'm really wonderful to, uh, to hear you again after meeting you in Whistler in July. Yeah. That was really fun. I think oh. you've been far too generous, though, on your introduction. I'm certainly not number one in arbitrator in Canada, but I'll I'll take the nice the nice and and fun to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and in family dispute resolution, so it was very interesting when we were in Canada. Um, there was a discussion about arbitration in family law. And it was very intriguing, as I said in the introduction, because of the fact that we just don't do a lot of family arbitration. So would you mind sort of giving, and I know we, you and I had a time to talk about this, but if you could share with the listeners kind of how that has come about in British Columbia in particular. Well, thanks, Amy. I'm happy to talk about arbitration. Uh, it's a fantastic um, opportunity for family law litigants to actually resolve matters. So how it started, there was a few of us that were doing arbitrations uh, prior to 2013, but it really became a more mainstream uh, resolute dispute resolution mechanism in 2013 when our Family Law Act, uh, the new Family Law Act became the Modernized Act. And so at that what it did was it recognized uh, dispute resolution, including arbitration. And in fact, uh, the Family Law Act says that uh, dispute resolution professionals, including lawyers, um, must favor options of dispute resolution other than litigation. So at least consider, if not favor them in the appropriate cases. So that really helped launch arbitration in family law. 
How have you then kind of in your own practice, you know, how often would you say that you do use arbitration in lieu of, for example, litigation or mediation? Uh, What's interesting is uh, one thing that's really popular is combining uh, mediation with arbitration. And so I would say that it's really popular. Mediation is still probably the most popular alternative dispute resolution, if you could say alternative. Um, but uh, combining it like a MedArb is has become extremely popular because, as we know, there's a lot of family law litigants and family law parties that just don't believe that mediation will resolve their matters. And so they'll all, often come to uh, a med mediator arbitrator and say, you know, I just want the arbitration in case I'm, I don't resolve any in mediation. And so you'll have counsel referring people and parties coming themselves with that in mind. So that's extremely popular. In terms of pure arbitration without a mediation component, that's becoming more and more popular. And um, since 2013, but then it's really kickstarted since COVID, the pandemic, And I think that's because in BC, at least, and probably in other provinces and other countries, I would imagine, um, there's been a bit of a backlog in terms of court cases. And so whether it's an interim application or if it's a final trial that's being bounced by the courts being too busy, that's really been caused a boom in the arbitration practice in British Columbia. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, especially given the fact that arbitration is more nimble, you know, it's able to sort of pivot sort of on that note. And with the pandemic, did you see a lot of online arbitration happening in family cases? Yes, absolutely. Uh, So what first um, in March of 2020, we had about three months where the courts were closed. And I think uh, fair to say that uh, many practitioners uh, we're trying to shift gears to see towards online resolutions. So those of us who were offering those services um, really helped out and did a whole pile of webinars about teaching people how to uh, use Zoom and, and do online dispute resolution and other platforms like Teams and that we use. Those are two popular ones in BC. And so um, the, in about a month's time, we were um, able to service the applications that would have otherwise gone to court and also trials. So mediation shifted online, arbitration shifted online, and um, I think the rest is history. There are still, in in terms of, I think the first two years, I had only five in-person mediations or arbitrations. All of the rest of them were online, and I do about three or four, maybe five per week. Wow. And are they still online, you're saying? Like still, or have they shifted back to in-person? Some have shifted back into person. The multiple-day arbitrations, um, they seem to be uh, in-person. Some of the the multiple-day mediations as well, but most of my matters, uh, mediation matters, are are a day long and they're almost all still online. Um, but I, I offer both at this point, but uh, I think people are loving, both council and parties are loving the flexibility of, of being able to um, do online arbitration or mediation. Well, and it's also, again, just in family in particular, 
um, you know, it does make sense. You know, it's funny that we don't do more family arbitration in the United States, but I can see why parties might choose to do this. And I'm guessing these are generally, well, yeah, what's different about it is and less controversial, quite frankly, than, for example, consumer arbitration, because it would be a post-dispute um, agreement to arbitrate that you would decide, okay, we know we're divorcing and now we want to arbitrate, which I think would make them more able and more kind of not concerned about due process because they're getting what they want. Exactly. So I, I think a lot of um, people are attracted to taking the arbitration route. Um, I know in BC, we don't have a specialized court. And so uh, people, by choosing a family law arbitrator, getting somebody who's an expert basically in family law. And so right. you get to choose somebody and then you have the confidentiality that um, applies. Uh, plus, if if uh, it's it's so flexible in terms of how um, you can structure the arbitration and shorter and you have um, basically it's like having one judge, one family, which we don't see in British Columbia unless you actually choose an arbitrator and, and go the arbitration route. So I think council love arbitration because it's so easy for their schedule compared to um, oh. the courts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. It's like, you know, and it was interesting in that meeting when we were both in Canada, because I didn't get the sense that family arbitration is quite as popular in other parts of Canada. Am I wrong on that? Or what is your sense of sort of where other provinces stand on family arbitration? There was a, a study a few years ago, oh. and um, in the in Ontario, uh, arbitration is very well established in family law. Uh, and in Alberta, it's also well used in, in family law and then British Columbia. And as as far as I'm aware, there's not um, the other provinces do not use arbitration as much in family law. But um, definitely, I, I think it's the idea is picking up. Yeah, it makes so much sense. I mean, I really well. And the other thing that we had talked about, you know, I'm curious your thoughts to share with the listeners is I'm sure I can already hear students in their heads going, oh, wait, if you're going to use MedArb in family law, isn't that problematic? And is it possible, for example, you, Lisa, to be the mediator and then become the arbitrator? What about all that confidential information that you learned in the mediation? Um, obviously, you can't unlearn it. You already heard it. So how does that work? Um, how do you deal with that? Do you get a different um, individual to be the arbitrator if you decide to do MedArb? Well, you can, but um, most often uh, councils don't have a problem having um, somebody they trust for the mediation or the arbitration um, be the same person. But there's every options available. I know there's uh, many mediators that don't do arbitration and they're happy to, to send it to the arbitrator or even send a piece of it to arbitration such as value of a property and then back to mediation mm. which i also see but um the most common one i see is is when i'm asked to be the mediator and the arbitrator and i tell people and this is very honest um i don't have a very good memory and so <laughs> if if i'm in the mediation and i'm trying my best to resolve 
help you resolve matters, I literally will not remember the facts by the time the arbitration comes. And that could be two weeks later or, or three weeks later or six weeks later. I still literally, between um, all the cases I have in between, I, I don't have a problem with that. But you also think like if you, uh, I, I, I said that when I was first um, considering doing mediation arbitration, um, way back years ago, I remember talking to um, at a conference and I was sitting next to a labor arbitrator and she just laughed at me and said, what are you talking about? You can shift back from mediation to arbitration. You just have to be very clear. Um, and they do it all the time. They right. said, you have to be somebody people trust and you have to just literally make sure in the mediation part, it's confidential. You don't use it in the arbitration part kind of like judges who um, listen to evidence on a voir dire and decide what goes in and what goes out. You're able to do it. So um, I find it's quite natural. Yeah. I mean, I really like the other thing you said about the shifting lanes, meaning going, you know, sometimes just getting one piece decided and then sending it back to mediation. That makes a lot of sense to me in family dispute resolution because absolutely like valuation or one little piece and all you need is you just got to get that one little piece decided finally and fully and just done, right? You don't want to just, you know, fight or have it because I'm guessing, especially like in a situation where that, where you absolutely have a battle of the experts, right? So you're going to have like two different expert reports and you have to decide which one you agree with. Well, the parties are probably not going to mediate that. They just need it decided so they can move on toward other things and get to a final settlement agreement. Exactly. I've, it's also a helpful, um, uh, my collaborative law co colleagues, um, they have a collaborative case and there's just one or two things that they just, the parties cannot agree, but they agree on everything else. Um, I've had them knock on my door and say, could you arbitrate this particular piece? And we can do it in a way that the parties are still resolving. We can even do it on agreed facts um, or mm -hmm. an offer style arbitration, something that's quite discreet. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what about even, you know, um, kind of different, but, you know, they have baseball arbitration you've heard about or high-low arbitration. You could even do that on a valuation issue, I would assume. Right. You can do it on many different issues. Um, one one that's really pop gained popularity in BC is where you have a relatively discrete issue or a few discrete issues and you get down to... Um, offers. And so it's called last and best offer. And so each party presents an offer and makes submissions on the, on those offers. And the arbitrator will pick one or the other offer or something in between, but apply the law. And so that's becoming more and more popular for relatively discrete issues. Obviously a cost savings because you're not presenting evidence or you present limited evidence. Um, mm. for that and parties just want it resolved. Yeah, I like that. Well, and especially if you could tie that in with technology, um, because there are platforms out there that do that sort of, you know, um, where they put forth by using an algorithm and kind of looking for the zone of potential agreement, but also kind of you benefit by being more generous, right? Or not choosing, you know, not being outlandish in what you're asking for, for example, right? So the more fair you are, the more likely it is that the um, arbitrator will go your way. 
kind of like in real life. Yeah. (laughs) Council does that. (laughs) It's true, right? No, it's so true. Well, also because you're such a like nice and warm person, I'm sure it helps them feel more, um, you know, confident that you're going to be um, clear with them and honest with them. And I think that I'm sure that goes away a long way for your being able to do med arb quite easily. So um, that's absolutely. What do you see next on the horizon? So especially given your role in BC and the work that you're doing, um, what do you kind of see next on the horizon, especially for family dispute resolution in BC? I, I think that arbitration is here to stay and online arbitration, I think in BC, is, is, you're covering, covering quite a, a big territory. And and I find that, um, for example, one arbitrator can cover British Columbia now. And so you're not having to travel um, based on, you know, where people are. So I almost see that... Um, I'm I'm visioning when I'm not as busy next year <laughs> in 2023 um, myself, possibly other arbitrators opening up like chambers arbitration and, you know, having, okay, Mondays and Fridays are for interim orders and, and, you know, Wednesdays are for this and, you know, it's kind of making it more and more the norm. I think um, it's hard to sometimes counsel, uh, there's still counsel who haven't tried arbitration. Uh, even an arbitration in person, never mind online arbitration. Almost everybody in BC's tried online mediation, and almost everybody loves it. But they're still um, ha- uh, not haven't necessarily tried arbitration. So I find that once um, council have tried it once, they really like it, <laughs> and mm-hmm. the parties really like it because it's so much more flexible and they feel like they're being heard probably more than having several different judges by the time they're finished. So I think um, it'll just uh, expand and become more and more the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think everybody will know about it, not just counsel. Yeah. Well, Look now on. what remains to be seen now, if it'll travel south, right? You know, and see if the U.S., we start to see more. I wouldn't be surprised, especially due to bat backlog, but also um, the privacy issues and the expertise issues, right? I mean, that might be part of it, but it'll be interesting to kind of see where this goes. I know that um, New Zealand, Australia, they have been doing more family arbitration. So, um, you know, it's taking shape in other places for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One concern I have is, is though that it, um, and this is, something that is on my mind is is that it's really two-tiered so at least in British Columbia uh, because it's the people that can afford to hire an arbitrator and so it's something that I would like to see addressed going Mm -hmm. forward is is more and more I always like to see more and more options for all families not just those who can afford to select an arbitrator and pay for a private arbitrator. Oh gosh, 100%. That is my, that was my main concern for sure. Um, Right off the bat, you know, I thank you for, yeah, because you don't want to have kind of the second class justice for some people, right? And so figuring out ways, and it seems to me with online arbitration, they should be able to obtain, you know, to have more opportunities, more options, Um, you know, also maybe having um, different 
levels. I know they've used regulatory sandboxes in, for example, Utah here in the United States and allowing for practitioners um, who have not perhaps gone all the way through law school, but they're specialized in family dispute resolution and they really know family law. Um, you know, allowing for these different options for individuals so that it's not an all or nothing, you know, allowing for more opportunities at lower cost um, and still getting that expertise, getting the assistance you need, getting the speed that you need and enforcement that you need. Um, all of these pieces have to be provided to everyone um, and making sure that we do have access to justice. Good point for sure. Yeah, I don't know. Is there movement? I thought in BC, there was also movement in that direction. You know what? We we certainly, I, I don't know if we copied entirely, but we certainly learned from your sandbox. And at the Law Society, there's an innovation sandbox with um, many, I think about 35 people in, in that providing services. So pretty exciting in, oh, in the first so few years. Yeah. Yay. That's really funny because so... Yeah, I can definitely see how that might have happened because Dino Jimenez in Utah was one of the big champions of the regulatory sandbox, and he happened to have been friends with Shannon Salter. So I don't know if there's any connection there, but is that sort of how it came about or not? Well, we actually were looking at um, uh, regulating paralegals, and uh, so that that um, there was a. a task force struck at the Law Society. And the task force looked into how best to go about regulating paralegals to provide services, including in family law. And what they decided, they looked at all, all sorts of different programs, including the Washington Triple LT program and then regulatory sandbox and, and decided to go the, the sandbox way so that it would be um, broader than just paralegals and also mm -hmm not necessarily requiring a lot of additional training and, you know, approaching it more of in a competency framework as opposed mm -hmm. to a credentialed framework. And I, I think um, I was very much in support of that approach. Um, and mm -hmm. I think, and it's funny, you mentioned Shannon Salter, who she's actually um, was on this, our sandbox committee for, for looking at applications and, and, uh, very much. I think she enjoyed, she had to step down when she took on her new role, but uh, very much enjoyed that. So I think on the arbitration end of things, though, interestingly, it, right in our Family Law Act regulations, um, there there is opportunity for others, not just lawyers, to be arbitrators within certain aspects of family law. And that includes uh psychologists can actually, if they have the right amount of training, they can actually um, hear disputes about parenting, parenting time, as well as certain very select, um, more of the simple child support matters. And um, as long as they have, uh, I think, 10 years of family law um, or family practice training, some family law training, arbitration training, uh, I think some violence screening and then um, professional liability insurance right in the family law regs. Uh, there's there's provision for that. That's so exciting. I love that. You know, um, you are really kind of forging the way. It's funny how, you know, here you are so like across the, you know, 
really far away, but it's kind of a small world. You know what I mean? Like I in don't, terms of, I don't feel so far away, Amy. <laughs> especially on Zoom, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it is funny how like these connections, though, I'm just thinking like, oh, my gosh, because, yeah, the whole regulatory sandbox and then how all these play in. But also, I do believe that what you are doing is leading the way. And so this is really important on the regulation. And I really like what you said earlier, not look looking at competency, not credentials. I think that's such well said. And um, I really hope we can have more of that, especially if it's going to expand access to justice. And I, I just really, I love that competency over credentials. That's really beautifully said. Yeah, thank you. And I, I would say, I think you're leading the way, Amy, by having oh. <laughs> arbitration conversations, because you're actually making the world smaller um, by sharing ideas and these exchange of ideas. This, I think this is how we get great ideas. We don't have to reinvent everything. So um, I sure hope so. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for being part of this. I really do. Thank you so much for being a part of the arbitration conversation and for um, really shining a light on a new area that we need to be thinking more about. Um, so this has been great. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Amy, and have a wonderful day. This podcast was brought to you by Arbitrate.com. For more information about Arbitrate.com programs and content, please visit our website at www.arbitrate.com.